Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This is Buzz Knight, and today on the Taking a Walk podcast series, I'm outside the historic Ed Sullivan Theater in New York City. This landmark is where the Beatles played, and it's where The Late Show with Stephen Colbert happens, and it's where our guest spends a lot of hours every week. Paul Mercurio is an American comedian and writer. He's been working his craft across the country as a stand-up. He's been in film, TV, including on Colbert. Let's go take a walk with Paul Mercurio. Taking a walk with Buzz Knight. Well, Paul, it's so great to be with you oh. as we're taking a walk, kind of, sort of, here <laughs> outside the Ed Sullivan Theater. Yeah. Thanks for joining the, the Taking a Walk podcast oh, series. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really grateful. So I have a lot I want to talk to you about. Mm. First of all, you're, you're just back here mm. uh, in terms of your work mm-hmm. on the Stephen Colbert uh, mm-hmm. late night show. Yeah. Uh, must feel great to be back. It is, yeah. Right? We were dark for a week, and, you know, every... I don't know, every seems like six to eight weeks we have a dark week and uh, it's basically so everybody on the show can go into rehab. A lot of lot of drinking on the show. And uh, they try to just do it uh, en masse, you know, just everybody in one time as opposed to piecemeal it. Now, um, you know, it's, it's intense to put a show on five nights a week, you know, an hour show. It's like, you know, uh, I was a writer and performer on The Daily Show. And I was just, you know, um, on this show I perform mainly, I do the warm-up, I perform on the show, do stand-up on the show. It's like taking a final every day to get the show on the air, you know, it's just always, there's never enough time, and there's breaking news, and so... Um, Love the show. You need, Love yeah, the show. And then Love we, and we double-tape on Thursdays, and you have Friday off, and then... Uh, so it's, it's, but it's exciting, you know, and then, you know, you're in the Ed Sullivan Theater, which is, you know, where... Elvis, the Beatles, it's insane, and I'm standing on the same stage as they are. Right. And then, you know, of course, I'm wiping my brow with napkins and throwing them to the women, and the women are like, why are you throwing this at me? (laughs) 
And I'm like, hey, I'm an Elvis, aren't I? And they're like, no, you're just some Italian kid from Providence. Stop <laughs> throwing your sweaty handkerchiefs at me. No. And so, uh, and, and then you look around and it's 1922, I believe it was built, this beautiful dome theater. And it's just insane how yeah. the, the history, Jackie Gleason was, you know, performed there. It was really, it's really incredible. Do you pinch yourself every time you, you go in there? Just I pinch other people, which apparently, <laughs> I've got a meeting at Human HR. Resources in five minutes, so I'm going to have to cut this short. <laughs> apparently can't do that anymore. Not even on the arm, Buzz. Look, I just I just pinched you. I guess there's going to be a lawsuit. <laughs> there's no fun anymore. There's no more fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and then you just meet... You know, I grew up in New England, in Providence. I'm a Red Sox, Celtics, Patriots, Bruins fan. We did a uh, Halloween-themed show where all the guests dressed up, and Gronk was on the show. Yeah. And they dressed him up as, like, a Transformer. Yeah. He was so massive, they didn't really have to do much. Like, they put, like, a tiny, like... Like a you pee- can touch me, Paul. It's like okay. a pee- like you know, <laughs> pee wee hockey players have little little shoulder pads. Yeah. Like that's what they put on him, and he still looked massive. His hands were like, and I just went over like, nice to meet you, and uh, and I met you know uh, Brian Cranston, and some of these people went on my podcast. Paul McCartney, yeah. I met at the Colbert Report, and I got him on my podcast, which was surreal, and I could tell you about that. Well, okay, but, so but so yeah, so it's been crazy. It's been great. What's an average day as a writer on, on a show on, on a show like yeah. this like how did walk, well, walk us I mean you know for like I'll, I'll talk through the daily show which is where I did mainly my writing and you know in the morning there's a morning meeting to kind of go over what's current in the news and then people uh, you know usually it's like the head writer executive producer showrunner decide okay well these are the stories that we want to focus on and then go off and write for two or three hours at that point, um, you know, depending on how it works, you know, there may be some consultation with the host, like, ahead of time, like, by the senior writer, the head writer or executive producer, like, these are the stories we're thinking about, and the host might go, oh, yeah, that sounds okay. But then they kind of work through, the, we would work through the newspapers, like, at the Daily Show with all these other, you know, whatever feeds we would get from different news organizations. Like, okay, these are, like, the six, seven, five, whatever top stories or things that are... And then you go off and write for like three hours like you're taking a final. And you yep. just hope to God that you're funny that day. And some days you are and some days you're not so funny. That's why you have a, many people on a staff. So if you're off, I'm on, okay, we're covered or vice versa. I mean, I was never off. I was brilliant, but no. Uh, um, <laughs> and then and then at like, uh, you know, noonish one, depending on the schedule of the show, the jokes get called a read-down. They get read by the senior people and then they get picked and then they go into production, so then you need a couple of hours, say, you wrote a joke with a punchline where uh, Stephen needs to put on a funny hat, or that you need a clip from a movie that you want to cut in as a punchline. Intern has to go get the movie, you know, it's, all of this stuff has to happen, so you have to build all of what they call the elements for the joke to work. And then the show gets rehearsed around, you know, three-ish, four-ish in that time frame. And then it goes through a rewrite, and while the show's being rewritten, the audience is being loaded in to the studio. Everybody's cavity searched twice. <laughs> Steven's hang-up, I don't know what that's about. <laughs> weird, weird, Buzz. No. Um, I like it. Sometimes I just, I'm not even, I just go through the... Just for the fun just, of it. Yeah, no, just to, so I can be with the people and understand what they're going through. Sure, it's a providence yeah, exactly. thing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and then, you know, so at that point, you're on the clock again, because, like, we're trying to tape 
by a certain time, I think we were 5.30 at the Daily Show too, it's 5.30 at the Late Show, start the taping and end, we try to tape in real time with the commercial break, so end by 6.30, because the show then has to be edited, tightened up, and then it has to be delivered to beam to a satellite at 9 o'clock so that it could air at 11.30. It's like a machine. Like, yeah, it really is. It's, 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 you know, a couple hundred people on the show, and they all... It's just this synchronized dance that has to happen. It's pretty amazing um, when... Even just talking about it out loud, like how many moving parts there are, you yeah. know? And, yeah. uh, and so... You know, but and then there are those days when there's, like, huge breaking news, and so there have been those days where, you know, like... And none of that's been happening. I've never, right? Exactly, right? And, uh, you know... Um, the script might be ready at say three, three thirty to be rehearsed, and then at three o'clock, especially when Trump was president, like there was always something going on. Yeah. Um, and you know, same with you know the Daily Show, the same thing. Something happens, and you got to scrap half the because if you it was script because if you don't, you know what is that? Eight hours later at eleven thirty. It's now eight hours that that news has been out there. You're going to look lame if you don't address it. Right. You can't. You know. So. Yeah. So it's exciting, it's invigorating, but it's definitely a process because of the timely nature of it, you know? Sure. Yeah. So when you walk out on that Ed Sullivan stage, yeah. you must, it's electrifying. It right? really is, yeah. yeah. And uh, You ever wet your pants? It's a, a, well, it's part of my act. <laughs> so I, I'm keeping the pens in business, basically. Uh, <laughs> I don't think they're even a sponsor of this. <laughs> well, I think you should look at, you look into that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, um, it's you realize who's been out there and you know it's this beautiful dome theater and it's 500 people and you're on Broadway it's a Broadway theater and um, and I actually did an off-Broadway show based on my stand-up and what I do and the warm-up in the show because I like to talk to people and I bring people on stage from the audience and they tell stories from their lives and it turned and then I was approached by some producers to do it as a off-Broadway show. And this is where you found at that off-Broadway show mm. all these, uh, you know, kinky sex addicts, pretty much, who were over 65, <laughs> right? You saw that, right? Yeah. yeah, it was called Permission to Speak, and the premise of the show was if we talk, we connect, and if we connect, maybe we realize we are, have more in common than we think, and we're and we're and the bo- you can't judge a book by its cover, <laughs> and because I was getting these incredible stories, and then in my stand-up when I tour, and then also. Um, you know, uh, in doing the warm-up here, or just if it, even when I was when I perform on camera, I like to play with the audience. And they basically, you meet people, and they look like you know John and Joan Smith from Middle America. And then you find out, for example, this one couple in their seventies. How did you meet? Um, uh, on a, a Dom website, Dominatrix website. And, he, and she, I go, well, why did you connect? She goes, well, he's a dom and I'm a sub. And I go, and the place is like their jaws. And, and no one's making fun of anybody. It's just people talking about their lives. Yeah. And uh, and he said, yeah, you know, I realize I like to be submissive. This is the woman. Not because I'm a woman, she said, but because it's the only point in my day when I'm free and I don't have to be in control. And it makes sense. And I said, by the way, how are you? And they go, we're 76 years old. <laughs> it's like, it was incredible. There's another woman, her name was, uh, I said, which, all I, you, and sometimes you just talk, you know, you're not, you're not looking to make jokes, the funny comes out of these circumstances, you yeah. know, and, but not in a way that makes fun of people. So I said to this woman, what's your name? She goes, Lydia. I go, no, Nydia? She goes, no, Lydia. I mean, I, I'm sorry, what is your name? She goes, Nydia with an N. 
I go, that's an unusual name. How'd you get that name? She goes, well, my father got my mother pregnant. You know, they were married, they were pregnant with me. But at the same time, my father was having an affair, and he named me after the woman he was having an affair with. <laughs> do you tell your mom about Oh, this? my God. Or do, you, or do you shield her from No, someone? my mother does She's insane. She doesn't need to be. She's 94. She thinks she's 25. They take we, the filter off at that oh, age. Oh, at that She's always... Had, and, and she started her own business, a very progressive woman, in 1960 in a tenement house in Providence, started a furniture business with two, three kids, you know, married. She wanted to have her own career. And when that generation, you know, the mothers did, stayed home and worked in, in the house, which is equally hard, and raised the kids. And she did that too, but she wanted this business. And so we just closed her business after 63 years. Really? Well, she's 94, she has cataracts, she, she never could hear well. So, cause, and she won't get a good hearing aid because she's too cheap because she grew up in the depression. So she has a hearing aid she actually found in the garbage, and it literally like, with, is that me? Is that? It's a lot of that. Yeah. When you go for a walk with her, at least twelve to fifteen dogs will follow you within a minute. It's like it's just like it's like talking to a tea kettle in a house dress basically. And she basically would just she just and so we wanted her to do a big closeout sale and she wouldn't because she goes well I'm going to open the store again somewhere else I go you're 94 she goes well what am I going to do I go well you go to the senior center and you know hang around she goes I don't want to go with those people they're old I go you're old I go what do you think you're going to go see a Taylor Swift concert with 23 year old girls you're friggin old you're old deal with it you see, doesn't want to deal no, with it but she's healthy and everything but she will never give you you're always a child in your parents yeah. eyes okay I, went, I worked on Wall Street blah 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 I'm still Pauly, right? Yes. So we're helping her close the store. So, you know, she's also a pack rat. Like a lot of older pack... You know, people don't want to throw yeah. stuff away. So and there's some old papers and catalogs, furniture catalogs. I'm like, okay, let's just throw this out. So I throw it in the basket, and then I turn back, and I'm working on something, and I turn back again, and the thing I just threw in the ba- in the garbage is now out on the table again. I'm like, okay. So I take... I'm like, boy, maybe I spaced. I thought I threw it in. <laughs> I throw it away again. I turn back. I look again. It's out. So she's, when my back is turned, she's unthrowing away, the, taking stuff out. So the way you have to clean with my mother and throw things out. Remember the scene in Godfather 2 where the young Don, played by Robert De Niro, he goes in the stairwell and he shoots the old, yes. the, 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 in the white suit, and he yes. shoots him in the cheek. Yep. And then he goes up onto the roof yep. and he takes the gun and he breaks the gun into pieces so they can't trace it and he puts it in different stovepipes. That's how you have to throw things out with my mother. You have to take the thing and rip it up into multiple pieces and then throw it in different garbage cans. Like, you have to leave the premises. Like, I was driving to, like, stop and shop and throwing it in dumpsters. Like, I was knocking on people's doors. Like, can I just throw some stuff away so my mother doesn't find it? So it was just like... So it was it, it was a year ago we did it, and it was the most exhausting thing I've ever done. Oh, my God. Because she went kicking and screaming. Now, would you ever have her on your podcast? Yeah, yeah no, I wouldn't. Because she can't hear, so it would be a lot of repetition. So we would talk about one thing, but it would take 45 minutes. And then, and then she'd, uh, and then I think, I mean, it could be fun, but like, then she would just start hamming it up and like wouldn't say, I know her, she would just go off, like she wouldn't, which is, yeah, not that I would script her, but like, she's just, she, you just, Uh, yeah, she, and she, um, um, sounds adorable. No, she's not. She's a pain in the rear end. Okay. (laughs) Stop it. She's not. We had to fumigate her car. Holy, it's your mom. No, we had to fumigate her car because she went shopping. This is when she was driving. 
to get some food to her she was having some friends over so she went to like a deli and she got like some cold cuts and some really strong cheeses whatever provolone and blue cheese whatever and then she realized she had to stop at target for something and it's a summer day and she locks the car she put and she put her, she put her food the food under the front seat of the car and then took some of it like the cheese she put on the front seat of the car and then she went to the house and the friends came and she forgot the cheese was in the car and it stayed in the hot car for like two days and it stunk up the car and when I said to her why did you put the cheese under the front seat of the car she goes oh I was hiding it I didn't want people to steal the cheese I'm like is there a gouda thief running around Rhode Island like what are you talking about yeah so so yeah so she's a piece of work but um, she's got you know she's got it all together still you know Yeah, and she will. Yeah, so it's like it's it's interesting. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I'm sure she's very proud of you. Yeah, I think so. I yeah, don't know. But did, did she really want you to stick with the investment banking? Or? No, I mean I think more. Uh, it was like whatever's going to make you happy. You know, my wife, who I went to high school with, you know, she said to me, "Well, you've worked so hard at this. Why to get to Wall Street? Like, you want to start over again?" And uh, when I first told her, I said, "I think I want to leave Wall Street." This is my wife. To be a comedian, she looked at me and goes, uh, "That better be your first joke." That was, <laughs> and I'm like, "Uh oh!" And then, uh, and I was doing it uh, on the side, but I wasn't telling anybody. I was living a secret double life where I was on Wall Street doing these huge M&A deals and working like 120 hours a week, all nighters. And when I had any downtime, instead of going to dinner at the, you know, for an hour with the rest of the associates, I was sneaking off to dive bars in New York City working open mic nights and and that's ultimately then you got the gumption to you know pitch Jay Leno Jay Leno right, right. Yeah, yeah exactly and that that's that's kind of was where um, I you know I got to meet him at a private function and gave him some jokes and he he bought the jokes and started using them on the Tonight Show and then, then I, he said go try the jokes out so I started to go to these clubs and I was living this secret double life and I would sneak out and I get in a car and I take my suit coat off and my tie and I try to look as edgy as I could because I was working at some really divey places in New York. One of the places was called Downtown Beirut 2. Oh, yeah, I like the two because apparently they were franchising them or somebody <laughs> blew up one. I'm probably thinking the latter. And, uh, right. and, uh, and there was a hooker that worked out of there and she would give you notes on your jokes when you came off. No. Yeah, she'd come over and I'd be like, you know that joke about whatever? You know, I think it needs something. She goes, oh, excuse me. And then she'd run into the bathroom and take care of business, so to speak. Oh, it was unbelievable. Wow. And then I'd get dressed back up, and I'm going to this, you know, 50th floor white shoe law firm. Wow. After having, getting joke notes from a hooker down in the East Village where they were dealing drugs out of this place. And, and it was so, it was, and then when I finally told my wife that I was doing stand-up, she goes, oh, thank God. And I go, why? She goes, oh, I thought you were having an affair. <laughs> I go, why? She goes, well, you were supposed to be out working, but you were coming home with reeking a beer and cigarette smoke, and you had women's names written on a piece of paper. And those were other comics who had rooms to work, but she thought it was like me yeah. screwing around. Yeah. And so, uh, it, so she had a whole other puzzle that she put together. Wow. And uh, she said, oh, thank God you're doing stand-up. I go, well, wait till you see my act. You may not say thank God so much. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, um, and so I did that for a while until I was about to have a nervous breakdown because I was trying to keep the two worlds apart and then sort of realized I got to, I got to, you know, either go for this full time or hang it up. Now, when did you 
before the investment banking and everything realized that, you know, you were funny. I mean, well, I, I just was funny with my family and my yeah. friends and yeah. like everybody. So I never had a plan to do this, you know. Yeah. It was always definitely um, just to go and work on Wall Street and do that, you know. And, uh, and then it was, I don't know, I started just writing these jokes, you know. And, you know, uh, the bug and the bug bit me. And um, this all happened because I gave these jokes to Leno. And when he called me, I had written my number on the papers and he called me and I thought he was going to blow me off and I got this phone call and I was like, it's Jay Leno, it's Paul there and I thought it was a friend pulling a prank doing a Jay Leno impression and I go, yeah, really funny day is to get my friend David's name I go, it's, it's not Jay, it's David, I know no, no, it really is, I go, yeah, right, he goes, no, it is I go, and I actually said to Jay Leno, you do a lousy Jay Leno <laughs> and then he goes, well, I think I do a pretty good me I'm like, oh god, and then I, he goes, I'll hire you to send stuff in and I'll pay 50 bucks a joke yeah and then he did, he did, about a week later, he did one of the jokes on The Tonight Show, and it blew my head off my shoulder. Oh, man. And 50 bucks. And here I was, you know, middle-class kid from Providence, Rhode Island, working on these huge merger deals, and this little $50 joke just sucked me in. Did he pay by check? He's, his check bounced, that cheap ass. Yep. Oh, my God. You still have the check, though. I do. I have the check. I have a frame. And uh, Big Dog Productions, that's the name of his production company. Yeah. And uh, with like a caricature of his face with a big chin. And, uh, and yeah, he was, and then he would, he was the one that said, you can try the jokes out before you send them to me. And that's how I started kind of doing stand-up. That's awesome. And then that's led to the double life. And then that led to, you know, there was a stabbing at the bar one night at downtown Beirut too. And I had to go on stage after a guy got his uh, neck slashed over a drug deal. He was still standing. It was like a not a deep, deep cut, but he was cut. He was bleeding. And I, and I went on. I thought I could go. I thought the show was over. And as I'm leaving, because I was supposed to be next after that happened, and as I'm leaving, I hear, all right, you guys ready for some comedy? Like, the guy's like bleeding in the, middle of the, in the middle of the bar, and the cops are there taking a report. And then I uh, basically said, um, when we were here, the guy said, um, I said to the guy, uh, I said, I go on stage and I go, hey, well, uh, you know, it's nice to be here at downtown Beirut, too. I always wanted to follow a slashing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for laughing. I thought that was a pretty good joke. I love it. But the guy who heard me got slashed and heard me, heard me and he didn't think it was that funny. And he, he threw all these bloody napkins at me and they stuck to my shirt. And that was, that was sort of my, you know, kind of introduction to comedy. It's like, welcome to the world of entertainment get your reaction on one of my favorite movies of all time, King of Comedy. Mm. Huh? I mean, oh my is, God. That, is that uh, tell the story? Yeah, in, in I, it does, you know, and um, also, like, the um, the casting of Robert De Niro in that is, like, yeah. really interesting. Like, oh I would God. not have thought of that, but he's so good in it. It's brilliant. And, um... Sandra Bernhardt. Yeah, and, uh... You know, but I used to love watching stand-up growing up. Like I would, love, I would beg my parents to stay up to watch any comedian on late-night television. You know, I do Rod, go into school, and then I do Rodney jokes. And he, you know, I, people knew it was Rodney. I wasn't pretending it was mine. I wasn't planning to be a performer. I was just loved jokes. I loved watching anybody. Jonathan Winters, yeah, brilliant right. improvisationalist, and you know, really the master that. You know, I know Robin Williams looked up to him, and I knew Robin Williams. We were friends, and he was a great guy. So it was just, I don't know, I just, I guess it was in me, but I didn't know it was there, and it kind of got bitten by this bug, you know. 
but it's a community, right? I yeah. Mean, it, 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 there is competition yes. among comics. Yeah. Some are very supportive, some aren't. Okay, just like any business. Yeah, I remember right. I got my first special and I said, I was so excited, I was in one of the clubs and a comic goes, I got, my, I got a special, he goes, how'd you get that? Like, that's all he said. And I just wish the guy from downtown Beirut 2 were there to stab him because I wanted to just stab him. <laughs> right, right. So there is, um, you have to stay positive, you know, because you're right, you're on. But, you know, a lot of great people. Louis Black's a good friend, Brian Regan. <laughs> good friend um they're really great guys you know yeah. and supportive and supportive and nice and but yeah. leno too in that early phase as you had submitted your joke gave you advice on like getting to the punchline, yeah right? yeah 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 he basically said uh he goes um i sent him a stack i you know so i started to then once he said i'll pay you just send stuff in i would just send stuff in and then one day he goes what do you do for a living anyway I go, i'm a lawyer he goes i knew it i go why he goes you write like a lawyer he goes you're writing jokes. Get to the punchline. You're not writing the Magna Carta, for God's sake. <laughs> and they were really long. Like, yeah. they were long. Because, you know, I was all about the detail, right? Yeah. But by the time you got to the joke, like, the punchline, you had gray hair. Like, you just aged like it was too much. So it's a learning process. And then for yourself, you have to learn your own voice and what you want to say and talk about. But are you ever... That's my uh, yeah. That's my limo. Yeah. It's all right. It's a, it's, it's a Yugo, but uh, the Yugo limos. Yeah. There. Are you ever happy with what you've come up with? I mean, you're constantly yeah. obviously in search of, you know, continually improving. But are you ever happy and at peace with your voice? Yeah, I think I, I like my voice. It's just always jokes that you're, you want to keep, you know, improving on or, or new jokes you want to introduce, and then, then there'll be some jokes where you know they're funny. And you just can't seem to get it 100%. Or there's, um, like, Lewis Black mentioned this. Like, there's some weird thing that happens. You do a joke for the first time, and it does really well. And then it bombs, like, for four times after that for some reason. And I don't know if it's because of the excitement of doing it for the first time. I mean, the art of good stand-up is to making it feel like you're talking about it for the first time. Because if you come off board with it, then they're going to not come along on the ride with you. So you've got to... You got to really perform it like it's fresh and new, and you haven't said it before. And 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 so you're at least for me, and I think a lot of comics you're always introducing new stuff into your act because you want to keep it fresh for you or people that come back to see you or you know. But here's the thing that constantly amazes me about you and, and other stand-ups: how effortless you make it. And I know it's not. Yeah, but that effortless. you grow into that. When you, if you saw me in the beginning, you'd be like, "This guy should stay on Wall Street." He was like, "Talk about peeing your pants every." Uh, you're stiff. You're not confident. You, you really have to. It's the jokes are just a vehicle to convey who you are. The words are important, but it's really important that they come to know who you are as a person and understand your thinking and everything else. So. If I'm not confident in leading them, they're not going to come along. You know, the audience has all the power. You just can't let them know it because they'll kind of crush you like an ant. They smell it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. They'll, like, you know, they'll not give you the love that you want. It's, you know, it's like if you're attracted to somebody and you try too hard, you start to go like, all right, you're a little too needy, you know. Yeah, back off. Yeah. So it's this fine line between I don't really care what you think, but not with an audience, but not to the point where you're just a complete... Yeah. jerk to them either and, and then they're like well why am I even here the guy's obnoxious it's this you know so you go out and you just 
for me, the rule is if I got to care about it, if I got to find it interesting first for me and then funny for me, and then you'll come along. So in your travels, too, so I know you're all across the country mm. doing stand-up, mm. um, you will work the localized angle somehow, right? Not, not really. No? No, because to me it's a little bit of a crutch, and um, I think they should come to see you for you and not so that they can hear jokes about stuff that they've already heard jokes about, right? Yeah. Like, oh, you must be from Peabody, you know what I mean? Like yeah. a you so know, it's too obvious. To yeah, do I mean, it's just too simple. It's almost like a painter saying, okay, I'm going to paint a certain way for the Boston market, and then I'm going to paint a different way for New Mexico, and, uh, you know, an artist, painter. And I think you just want to be who you are and take, you know, I, I think somebody in Minnesota should have a flavor for a Northeast guy who, you know, might be a little, I'm animated and got, you know, whatever, I get agitated and I, you know, whatever versus somebody who might and, and experience that kind of person as opposed to somebody who's exactly like maybe a more, you know, sometimes people in the Midwest can be a little mellow and like kind of more even-tempered, right? Yeah. Well, they see that all the time. They should experience me for who I am. So I don't want to go into a marketplace and try to be their friend by like talking about I mean, look, I'm, if, if I'm in the area and I care about something, like if I'm in the Boston area, I'll talk about the Celtics or whatever because I care about it it's yeah. not like an angle to kind of get to them Yeah. but um, you kind of just want to be who you are and bring who you are to them so that they experience somebody that maybe they haven't experienced before Yeah. does that make sense yeah you know completely I mean? yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's authenticity really yeah and and, and you know um, and I'm not going to say I'm not going to come up with anything unless there's something really unusual about their city but even then I'm probably not going to come up with anything that they haven't already heard from somebody else yeah. or said or said to each other over a beer or whatever. Right, right. Right? Because yeah. they've, got, they've got years and years and years in that town. So it just, yeah, and I, I'd rather spend the effort talking about things that, like, matter to me. Yeah, you know? yeah. You know, like right now I'm working on a joke about somebody, uh, I know, gave somebody a lottery ticket for their birthday. And I'm like, is there any gift that says more, I really don't care about you than a lottery ticket? I care about you to the extent of 327 million to one that you enjoy this. Right. I mean, just just take the money and just throw it down the toilet. Like, it just is the most insult. Like, it literally is saying, I like you, but you're $2 worth. (laughs) And I really don't want to see you enjoy this. So the odds are so stacked against you. So I know I have something there, (laughs) and I started to work on it uh, recently, this last week. The punchline's not there. Sometimes I just have to talk it out on stage, and something will come in the moment. Sometimes it'll come all at once, and sometimes it'll come if I sit in front of the computer with it. It just depends on... It's weird, you know? When you said it, you know, what flashed through my head was all the people that have given me, you know, Christmas time or whatever... A, lo- a lottery ticket. Yeah, right. Yeah, and wipe those people off your list. They're, they're gone. They're not. They're not your friends. They don't care about you. They're <laughs> jerks. They're really jerks. Yeah. So, uh, growing up in Providence, yeah, you had a mayor there who has since passed away. Oh, Buddy Cianci. Buddy Cianci. Yeah. Who? Uh, I mean, 
Did you ever encounter him in your time in Providence? He appointed my mother to the school committee in Providence. Is that right? Yeah, I met him. Yeah, I mean, Were they dating or something? Uh, no, because he would have killed himself if he dated my mother. No, he, <laughs> he, uh, he was a character. He was this little, very bright, very charismatic. He could have run for national office, but he was a small-time politician in some ways. Um, little pudgy guy in the Napoleonic complex, wore a bad toupee smoked a cigarette, was a kind of a tough guy, but very bright. I went to law school and everything, and he just um, couldn't get out of his own way. He had his own line of marinara sauce. Yeah, hey, Buzz, what are you doing? I can run the city, and I got a little bolognese for you right there. Like, he was just... And then, uh, but, you know, it's funny. He got arrested and kicked out of jail, out of, out of um, office because he took a guy to an abandoned warehouse and slapped him around. And put a cigarette out on him. Oh. And uh, he himself did it because the guy had an affair with his wife. And then he got kicked out of office and they and they reelected him in a landslide when he was... Re- and Only tip- in Providence. Well, exactly, because Providence... This is this typifies Providence when it comes to crime. This old Italian woman on Federal Hill, which is an Italian part of Providence, she goes... Uh, they go, ma'am, why would you vote for him after he did what he did to that guy? Goes, hey, the guy was messing around with his wife. He got what he deserved. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's Providence in a nutshell. It's like, yeah. hey, a little bit of crime's not bad. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and um, my cousin, I got a cousin that was running numbers for a long time. And then sure. he would, you know, he was just, you know, running numbers. And he would stand in front of the, so, yeah, you know, he stand, like, it was like Sopranos. He stand in front of the street corner. Like tight pants, his legs are always moving. Like he's got a live snake in his pants. Like how you doing? How you doing? And he dressed like always, like really like you know loud clothes and coiffed hair. And, yeah. And he was selling stuff at one time out of the trunk of his car. He, at one point, he was selling um, suits, ratchets, and car alarms. Oh my God. But there were car alarms that he stole out of other people's cars. And he had no sense of the irony that, like, I was like, Bobby, you know the fact you stole this means it's not a very good alarm. He goes, what are you talking about? It just doesn't have the box. Here, take it. It's 25 bucks. <laughs> so it was just like, it's, there's a charm to it that's like, yes. you know what I mean? I love Providence. Yeah. I it's really just do. like a world unto itself. Yeah. It really is. And it's like, and I, you know, my mom's still there, so I go back up and um, still see some of the same people kind of hanging around, you know? Yeah. Hanging With around. The, doing the, the yeah, shakes. Yeah, doing the shakes. Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, I know another guy, like, he was, uh, said to my mother one time, he goes, hey, he goes, uh, he goes, uh, Ms. Mercurio, I'm in your business now, I'm in the furniture business. She goes, what do you know about the furniture business? He goes, well, you know, I'm selling mattresses. She goes, how are you getting your hands on mattresses? You have to have an account with the mattress company. He goes, nah, I don't need an account. He goes, I go to the, I go to the, uh, dump. I got a bunch of mattresses. I pick them up. I pay, like, nothing for the mattress. I got a Chinese guy. He recovers them for like a hundred bucks. I sell them for like six hundred bucks, which is a complete violation of health code. You don't know what's in the mat. Right. He's like, hey, you know, everybody wins. And my mother's like, just get out of my store. Right. Because you want something? I go, no, I don't want your bug ridden mattresses from the dump in my store. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's like, um, oh my god, yeah, it's it's just a colossal. Place that just opened up. Okay, thank you. Yeah, uh, and uh, oh yeah, we have a burger. Yeah, uh, um, and I basically, I love New York. yeah, I know. It's right up to you. He's got an agenda. He did his shopping, and he has flyers. He's did two birds with one stone. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, everybody's got a hustle. Exactly. Yeah. So talk about your podcast. Yeah, yeah. I had. Uh, I liked doing one on one. You know, I, I grew up listening to like my mom would always listen to the, the Larry King and. 
you know, uh, David Suskind, I'm, you know, an old but really great um, interviewer in the New York area. I always just loved one-on-one long form because, you know, late night shows, there's not a lot of time. People come on, they have six, seven minutes, they got to promote their product, their whatever they're doing, their movie, whatever. And I just, so I just said, I'm going to do a podcast. And it's the law that you have a podcast. Everybody has That's to right. have one now. It's That's a right. congressional you know, mandate, uh, especially if you're a comic. So I was like, you know, I don't want to necessarily be stand-up, have to be a stand-up guy. So I just wanted to do one-on-one long-form interviews. And I started getting really great guests. You know, Colbert's done it. Um, Kevin Costner, Brian Cranston, Kira Sedgwick, um, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And I have just a broad array of interests. So I just, whoever I can get. And then I got Paul McCartney on the oh podcast. My and I, I, it was all by hat. And I love to talk to people about their process and how they do what they do. And I met him, um, I met McCartney at the Colbert Report. I was working at the time. And he had just performed, was about to perform. And he was hanging out in the hallway outside the uh, studio. And he was just leaning against the wall, kind of looking up at the ceiling, chewing gum, like he was uh, waiting for a bus all oh along. And I just went up to him and I go... Uh, I just want to say, well, first when I saw him, my whole world stopped. Because you round the corner, you don't expect to see Paul McCartney. Yeah. Especially alone without an entourage and security. And my whole world's like, slow down. And then I'm like, oh my God, it's Paul McCartney. Should I have my... Like, your whole world just completely stops. And yeah. then I'm like, should I say hi? Should I not say hi? And then I'm like, you know what? He's alone in a hallway without security. He's like a gazelle on the Serengeti Plains. And I'm a lion and I'm going to pounce. <laughs> So I went up and I go, just want to say hi. I'm honored to meet you and be in the same building with you and psyched to see your show tonight. He goes, oh, thanks. And I walk away. And he goes, oh, come back. What's your name? He goes, Paul. He goes, oh, Paul, that's a good name. I'm like, all right, I'll do the jokes, buddy. Back off, will you? <laughs> you just make all your royalties on those silly love songs. No. Um, he, he goes, what do you do? I go, well, I'm a stand-up and I work on this show and act. And he goes, oh, yeah. He goes, I love stand-up. And I knew Richard Pryor. But when he started talking, he goes, you got a kid? Yeah, I got a kid. Yeah, it's hard when you go out on tour. I go, yeah, it is. I go, but I'm thinking your touring is a little different than my touring. And, he, and five, ten minutes go by, we're just talking like regular people like you and I. That's it. Oh. But as I'm talking to him, I'm getting closer and closer to his face because he's so iconic. I'm checking him out. I'm check, like, yeah. I was so close to the point where he starts leaning backwards. Like, I was so close. I was like those chimps in the National Geographic channel where they clean ticks off their mates. Like, I could have cleaned fleas off his eyebrows. I was like that close. <laughs> And then I'm like, I better leave this guy alone. And I go into the bathroom. I call my wife. I'm hyperventilating. I'm like, you're not going to believe. I just talked to Paul McCartney. Oh, my God. And then, um, and then I, this, I say this out loud. You know what? On the phone to my wife, I go, Paul McCartney should do my podcast. I should talk to him about how he makes music. That's, and I, so I go and I knocked on the door of his dressing room. And I said, I know this is crazy, but would you do my podcast? And he goes, I just want to talk to you about music. That's all. He goes, yeah, sure. Oh, my God just like that that's it and um, now you know like if there was that anybody listening to me relate to this like that, that hot girl or hot guy you want to ask him out they would way above your pay grade and they're never going to say yes but you say you know what I'm going to ask him out anyway they'll say no but at least I know I asked him out sure and instead they say yes and yeah. you don't have a plan yeah that was me oh. he just goes yeah sure how do we do it and I got completely flustered and I literally I'm not doing this to be funny. This is how I sound. And I went, he goes, how do we do it? I was like, ah, ah. And I start like rubbing my thigh, like Rain Man. Like, ah, um. And my eyes are darting back and forth and I'm sweating. And I go, uh, I'll come to London. And he goes, we're in a room in New York together. Why would you come to London? 
And then I, we got to know. And then he goes, is it easy to do? And I actually said to Paul McCartney, oh, yeah, it's really easy. Um, um, I don't want to be a bother. I know you're really busy. You could do it on your phone naked from your toilet. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, I, I really said that. Yeah, right. right. I'm like, I got it. I go, look, uh, I'm going to just leave you and I'll go find your assistant. Figure it out. And yeah. he goes, no, no, you and I will do it. I go, what do you mean? He goes, you and I will just exchange numbers because they're going to make it way too complicated. And uh, I don't, you know, I, I, I want to give you a chance to talk to me the way you want to talk to me. And uh, so we're exchanging phone numbers. Oh, my God. And just like Leno, I thought I got a blow off, right? So he does the Colbert show perform report performance. And now I was working at The Daily Show at the time, so I'm rushing to get to that taping and I'm late. And my phone rings while I'm trying to get out of the studio at the Colbert Report to get to the Daily Show and I don't have time to pick it up. I'm like, I don't know who this is. I'm probably a telemarketer. And I let it ring the voicemail and this is the message on my phone. Hi Paul, it's Paul McCartney here. Um, I'm going to ring you back in five minutes to do a podcast thing. I've got some time now. Otherwise I'm going to run out of time. So if you're there at five minutes time, you call me. Okay, bye. Oh my God. That is brilliant. And I called him back and I was That's like, why are you bothering me? <laughs> Jesus. That is brilliant. Oh and then my he, God. And then he, and he did it. That's awesome. Yeah, he did Wow. It. So let's wind down. You got some shows? Yeah. Let's t- tell us what's going on with some shows I got, that are uh, going to be in the Boston area. Yeah, May 14th, I'm going to be at Plain Ridge Casino in Plainville, Mass. Really beautiful uh, casino. One show, Saturday night, May 14th, 8 o'clock. And you can go to my website, paulmccurio.com, or the casino website for tickets. And then May, uh, June 2nd to the 4th, um, I'm going to be at the Comics uh, Comedy Venue in Mohegan Sun. Awesome. And you can go to uh, comics with an X, C O M I X, website or my website, paulmercurio.com, for tickets. That's June 2nd to the 4th, May 14th, Plain Ridge Casino in Plainville, Mass. So, yeah, they're both great venues. I'm really excited to be back now with COVID dying down. I'm back out on the road. And, uh, great. Or you can go to my website. It's Paul Mercurio, one R in my last name, M E C U R I O. If you put two, there's an Australian actor who is in Strictly Ballroom. And that's not me. I had to change the spelling of my name because he got in the actors' union before I did. Well, the heck with him. Yeah, and yeah. he had, a, you, you know, there was a head. And so, every once in a while, people would Google my name, and he was like a really hot dancer at one time, a choreographer. So there was a shot of him in like a white tank top, spraying water on himself, and friends would be like, "Are you doing gay porn? Like, what is going on?" I'm like, "No, that's this other guy." So I changed the spelling. So it's M E C U R I O PaulMcCurio.com. Oh, my God. Well, I have to tell you, the great joys for me of doing this uh, Taking a Walk series is it gives me something to do, first of all, Paul. <laughs> yeah, well, but secondly, uh, it's reconnecting with old friends. But third, or maybe it should be first, reconnecting or connecting with new people. Yeah, new I hope we're friends so, for a long time. I really appreciate yeah. this. Thanks Even though you're already asking me for money off, off air, can I borrow 20 bucks? I'm like, whoa, I just met you. Yeah, no, well, just kidding. it's a New York thing. Yeah, exactly. No, Thank this you, has Paul. been great, man. You're fantastic. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for having it. me. Thank you. Taking a Walk with Buzz Knight is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.